Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. We're here. Yes, yes, so yes. We're not sure of the title. I think the title of this episode is going to work itself out as we talk. But basically what I wanted to get into is that mm-hmm. it's the beginning of fall. September 23rd was the first day of fall. You want to welcome people? <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry. No, I just wanted to dive right into <laughs> fall. I'm like ready for fall. <laughs> I love fall. Well, Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Between Two Chairs. Uh, my name is Fernando Arencivia, and as always, is my very eager, very eager co-host, the amazing Jennifer Woman. Jennifer, now you can speak. <laughs> so now I'm discombobulated, which is mm-hmm. par for the course. Um, so we're getting into the fourth quarter mm-hmm. next month, right? So the official start of fall is September 23rd. And I know, you know, it's usually for the setting of the clocks, it's spring forward, fall back. Mm-hmm. But from a business standpoint, <laughs> but from a business standpoint and a real estate standpoint, we don't want to fall back no. in in the fall, right? It's the end of the quarter, so you want to really give everything a push, I think, in I the agree. fourth quarter. I and agree. I think in addition to everything pumpkin coming out in mm-hmm. fall, a lot of people start to shift into holiday mode. They start, mm-hmm. you know, October is Halloween, Thanksgiving, parties starting, then December party mode and all of the holiday season. So it's really easy to kind of start slacking a bit in the fourth quarter. But in Miami, we really can't because in Miami, it is our high season from pretty much um, November through March. Right. But all of some really big activities start in October, starting Absolutely. with the South Beach, oh, starting Columbus Day. I almost forgot Columbus Day is really big here with the Columbus Day Regatta. And then we have the South Beach Seafood Week and NASCAR, NASCAR Cup. I know you're not as big on NASCAR as you're on Formula One, but NASCAR car racing. And then the Fort Lauderdale International Boat Show, which is one of the largest boat shows in the area. So we can't really slow down here. And when is the South Beach Wine and Food Festival? Is that around that time or is that earlier in the year? year? Earlier in the year, I want to say it's February or March. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you missed a really big one, which is our Basel. Our Basel is in December, right? December, yeah, yeah, so yeah, right, sure. right at the end of the fourth quarter, a lot of business is done during that time of the year. Uh, yeah. Not only for in the art world, but in real estate. In real estate. The yeah. highest concentration of private jets are in Miami during Art Basel weekend. Wow. Wow. That's not even well, my guys, fun look. fact. This is a fun <laughs> fact. I think we're done. This is going to be the, oh my God, this is great. This is going to be done. Well, you jumped all the way to the end of the fourth quarter, so you threw me off track because I'm at the beginning of the fourth quarter trying to 
um, set everybody up. So although we may be tempted to start shifting into holiday mode, if you're a real estate agent or an investor, you really need to use this time to not only prepare for next year, yeah. but more importantly, to see if your goals are on track and how far off or above this yeah. year's goals you are with your sales. So you mentioned something earlier this week. I can't remember the conversation that we were having, but you talked about a graph that you had seen somewhere about something that looked like a roller coaster chart, right? Mm -hmm. Regarding agent productivity yeah. and then doing something about a CMA or sorry, a CRM or something mm -hmm. similar that went from, you know, crazy, scary expedition Everest type roller coaster career and making right. it look more like a kiddie coaster. So can you tell me, go into a little bit more about that chart? Because I thought it was super interesting. Yeah, I think that this is something if you've been in the brokerage business for quite some time, you've seen this before. And basically what it is, is that in a typical agent's life of their business in a 12 month period, they're gonna have three peaks and three valleys. So they're gonna have three times of the year in which they're bringing in revenue, and then there's gonna be three times of the year in which they are at a low, they don't have new business coming in, and they gotta go and generate that business. So imagine that you are at the bottom of, of a mountain, right, and you're looking up the mountain, your, your goal is to get to that apex, right? But in order to do that, now you have to generate business. So what do, what do agents normally do at the bottom of that mountain? They're making phone calls, they're sending out postcards, they're speaking to their database, you know, looking at their sphere of influence. They're trying to drum up business. And what happens in the typical agents is once they drum up business, now they're climbing the mountain. What they're doing in the climbing of the mountain is they're continuing to look for business, but now they are working on the actual uh, listings that they have acquired or buyers that they're helping. And once they have those properties on their contract, then it becomes about managing those deals. And they ignore the prospecting, they ignore the phone calls, they ignore everything that got them the business. So they get to the apex and now the deals close and the money comes in, but now they have no new money coming in. So you start the cycle all over again. The goal of an agent as you're growing your business is to go from having three peaks and three valleys to have, you know, at least six to 12 peaks and valleys throughout the year. You know, you wanna create consistency. But in order to do that, you gotta have systems in place that are going to help you not to slack on the prospecting when you have to actually work on the transactions or not to slack on the working on the transactions while you're drumming up new business. That takes planning, right? And that takes a purposeful approach to make sure that the systems are scalable and automated enough so you're able to do that. It's the reason why you and I got into the business is to help people apply a system that would allow them to remove all of those little things that they have to do, all of those micro tasks that you're involved with so they could focus on what's important, which is, you know, ultimately taking care of the client. Right, and I wanna, I wanna mention the graph because last mm -hmm. time you mentioned, and I'm a very visual person, which is why it right. stuck in my brain, was you mentioned kind of the roller coaster hill and valleys, right. and then you compared the second one to a heartbeat monitor, Correct. right? Where you exactly. see that, that that 
da, 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 right. where it's much smaller. Those peaks and valleys were much smaller. So I love right. that. Also, the, the timing of the, if the, the reason why I compare it to a heartbeat is because the heartbeat is consistent. Correct. Right? And there's an ebb and flow and there's a timing, hopefully, right? Ideally, right? And so that's where, you know, and that's really what you want to achieve. You just want to have consistency in your business. It really changes the dynamic and it increases the fun part of the business. Exactly. Well, and think about it. A roller coaster, right? It's the anticipation and the buildup and everything. Then it's the sheer some people would say thrill, I would say terror of falling, right? And then then catching your breath and holding your breath as you go up again. So that's right. a very stressful way to do right. business. Whereas to your point, if your heart is beating normally instead of suffering the ups and downs of a roller coaster ride, that's right. it's a much more pleasant way to do business. The other thing that it makes me think of is you were talking about when they're on the way up, right? right. They're working in their business. Right, not on and not on their business. Okay. And when you're working in your business, I, I keep thinking of the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution by Chris McChesney. I'll get his name wrong. I think it's McChesney, um, Sean Covey, and Jib Hewling. And they talk about the whirlwind. And to me, that's the whirlwind, right? When you have the deals and you're working on the deals and you're setting up the, you know, you're, you're keeping track of the due diligence period, you're going through the financials, you're doing your environmental reports and everything else, and you're not focusing on the business. Right. So the way that these authors put that in the four disciplines of execution is that in order to level off those peaks and valleys that you're talking yeah. about is to have something called a wig. It's a wildly important goal. Mm -hmm. And that goal is what sets that steady pace that you're talking about for the entire year. So right. for so for some people setting a goal, it might be the dollar amount. It might be the number of transactions sold. It might be the number of people they add to their database. Whatever that wild thing is, is going to help them study those peaks and valleys and make yeah. their heart beat a little bit more normal and their business beat a little more normal. I think uh, the the book that comes to mind when we're coming, when we're speaking about in the business and on the business is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's a great book. Um, and if you are in of the mindset that I need to really build a business that is scalable and understand what it is to be an entrepreneur and what it is to have a business versus just creating a job for yourself, you know, which is in, in essence what most of that, uh, most of people end up doing. And the, the E in E myth is, stands for entrepreneurship. And so it's a, it's a great book. One of the things that I find is, you know, and I have to find a better analogy for the heartbeat, the, the heartbeat analogy I think works great, but Here's where the roller coaster sometimes fails us is that in a roller coaster, the reason why you have a steep climb at the start of a roller coaster is because the rest of the roller coaster, you're really moving out of momentum, yeah. right? The reality is that in those peaks and valleys, once you are at the bottom of it, there is no momentum that is going to carry you forward. You have to kind of like restart it again. That takes an enormous amount of effort to then climb it again. 
And that's because the systems are not in place so that you have consistency. When you're an agent, a broker, I think any salesperson, you have to have a very clear perspective of how long is it going to take you to go from searching for new business and actually closing out that business. You know, the realtor is the last one to get paid in a transaction, right? You get paid at the end. And so early in my career, bonded with a great friend of mine who is still in the industry and, uh, you know, he's focused on the mortgage side, Ed Martinez, and we would bond over this idea of having a 90 to 120 you know breakdown so we always knew where likely the work that we were doing today we were not going to see the rewards of it for 90 to 120 days and so we wanted to always look at our pipeline and we wanted to always look at our database and make sure that we kept feeding today so that we could eat mm-hmm. <laughs> 90 to 120 days from now and i think it comes up to the point that you're making by having a conversation about the last quarter of the year Last quarter of the year is significantly important for the life of your business, not only this year, but the following year. And I learned that from an investor who we went out for a walk. It was, you know, early October. And he was saying like, yeah, the year is almost over. You know, I was, well, there's still, you know, November, December, you know, we got, we got a little bit of time, but the way he was breaking it down, he was like, this is the time where I start to shut it down. This is the time where I start to look at what have I accomplished my goals for the year? And if not, then I'm going to have an incredible amount of urgency to get it done before the end of the year. But then I need the time to really plan out what is what are going to be my goals for my investments in the following year. And so it's both a time to finish strong and it is a time of new beginnings, you know, and think about everything that happens in that time period, you know. It's all the holidays. It's all the time with family. It's all the, you know, the travel that many people do. You know, so there are a lot of interruptions. You know, for me, there's nothing more. I am very careful at the end of the year when I enter into a contract that has a financing contingency. Yes. <laughs> because I know very well that on a commercial loan, it's going to have to be a committee that gets together. And they're going to have to have quorum. And they have a certain number of people that need to be there. And I know that they are all going to be traveling. It's going to one time or another November and exactly so you always have to be so you know you start learning how functioning in our in in our business at different times of the years creates you know differentiating factors and you have to be very 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 aware but it is probably one of the most important times of the year is that fourth quarter right because a lot of people are trying to get deals done I mean think about it if you're a seller and you have to close because part of the reason for the sale was a tax implication that you need to get into this year and not carry over to next it has to close so there's more urgency if you're a buyer who had specific criteria as to why you needed to close now there's a sense of urgency and then for the agent themselves if you're not if you haven't met your goals how far off are you what is it going to take to meet your goals if you've already met your goals don't don't slack surpass it because that means that the goals that you set for yourself were too low to begin with right Right. and that's going to need to be the basis for next year's goals so um if you haven't accomplished your goals again i'm i kind of use the four disciplines as like 
a Bible. We we used it when um, it's one of Gino Blafari's favorite um, oh, nice. books for execution, and it's shout all of yeah. Shout out to Gino, and we read it. A group of us read it at my prior brokerage, and after we read it, I was like, well, now what are we going to do with it? So we formed a mentorship group, and I'd never been in a mentorship group before. It's it was all about accountability, which you know is also very very big on, and most yeah. most brokers are. But what was super interesting about this mentoring group and us using this book was that they tell you to pick a wildly important goal. So for a lot of the agents that that were in my team that were in this mentorship group, it was like, oh, well, I did, you know, 100 million last year. I'm going to do 150. Well, according to this book, no, you want to go from 100 to 300. And it was super scary because we all picked goals that were so far beyond our comfort zone. And you and I talk about this all the time that we all need to get comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because being uncomfortable is where the growth happens. And we had this group together for three years and all of us catapulted our production, our careers, the, the movement forward way more than we ever could have imagined because we implemented this. The one thing was to pick a wildly important goal. The other thing was to always be focused. So you can't have more than three goals because if you have more than three goals, you might as well have none. Um, It was not letting the whirlwind take you out of focus of achieving your goal because the whirlwind's always going to happen. So that was super important. And then it was, to your point, setting up the groundwork based on the numbers of what you had projected for the year. So for now, if you're trying to end the quarter strong, but you're also planning for next year, use the numbers and where you are now to start figuring out what your wildly important goal or your numbers or whatever it is that you're aiming for for next year is going to be. Well, let me ask you, you did a little bit of residential, so did I at the, at the beginning of our career. So everybody says end of the year is always, you know, slow and, uh, you know, nothing gets done. And, you know, I, I, I don't know about you. I, I find it, I find a huge difference between that and the commercial sector because year over year, you know, knock on wood, thank God, you know, the end of the year has been very, very productive. And part of it is because anybody who's calling you in November to go look at a property, they're, they're serious. They're not, they're not playing around. They're not wasting time. They need to execute, you know, because otherwise they would be like, okay, I'm, I've, I've reached my goals for the year as an investor. I'm good. I have, you know, let me just go ahead and move on. So I often find that those last minute deals in the last month and a half of the year sometimes are, you know, everybody's in a hurry to make it happen. And there's a sense of urgency and, and things work out. Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Is that? I agree a hundred percent because the people so to your point on residential yeah it slows down a little bit because a lot of people aren't listing even though that's when their house is beautiful and decorated and clean because they're entertaining and having parties but they don't want to be bothered with that so if they do list during that time the buyers who come those are the serious buyers they're not getting people just checking it out and kicking the tires In terms of overall real estate markets, whether it's residential or to your point, commercial, in South Florida, you're getting 
in that time of year, October, November, December, January, then February and March, you're getting the highest net worth individuals that are coming here. Right. to spend their time. They're Absolutely. wintering here, they're attending all of these high-end events here. Yeah. And one thing about high net worth individuals is they're super efficient with their time. So if they were looking to purchase in Miami or if they were looking to sell what they have in Miami, they're gonna take advantage of the time that right. they're here to make those connections to set up. That they might be short and quick meetings, but right. they're in here to get the deal done or take the decision, sign the paperwork, et cetera. So it's, it's a wonderful time if you are a broker at that time of yeah. year because there's so many events that you can go to um, sure. to meet new people. You know, every time you go to the boat show, you should be meeting yeah. new people. Every time you go to one of these places, you should be talking to people and yeah. meeting and meeting new people. So and adding to your database. So no, I, absolutely. I also like the the time in between when you are in your mindset transitioning from this year to next year. And I think that that is incredibly valuable because I think that everything starts with intention. And I think that if you wait till January to start putting down on paper what it is that you want to accomplish for the year, you're, you're, you're three late. months behind. You're three months behind. Right. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. And not only that, but like the other thing that I do is I start looking at my taxes in October, right? Yeah. So I start looking at my income. I start looking at my expenses. Hmm. I, I do a brief meeting with my CPA and my investment um, guys and we start figuring out like am I going to put any you know how much am I going to contribute to a 401k right. if I sold something you know what is my tax hit going to be you know am I yeah. if I if I couldn't 1031 it so I always start doing that analysis so that I have time in the last quarter of the year to take the actions that are best going to position me to have the least amount of tax hit the following yeah. year. And I learned that because one year I, you know, I had one of my best years ever and I had a certain system set up for, for doing some tax deferred, you know, 401k type investments. Mm -hmm. And my CPA has said, look, you know, you, you did so much. Let's try to figure out a way Do do, um, what do they call it when you postpone your taxes till October? Right, right. Defer, defer right. your taxes or whatever. So we did that, and then we ended no, you up do an extension. Extension. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's what it was, and it wasn't yeah, the deferral. That I, I knew that yeah, wasn't the right word. It's not a ten thirty one. No, 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 no. But and, and I have a hard time because right. I'm I'm one of those that I'm obsessive about paying on time right. for my taxes. So. Sure. Because I just don't like knowing that it's out there because taxes is something that I really don't like doing. Yeah. And so I waited until October. She couldn't really figure anything out. We paid the taxes. And then like almost literally a week later, I met this guy who was like, oh, I could have had you just put all that money away as deferred income. And I was like, what? So we were able to change all of that around. I couldn't do anything for that year, but right. I set myself up specifically yeah. so that. And if I had done a better job that year because I did so well, I was totally sucked up in the whirlwind yeah. and I did not do tax planning right. and it bit me. It, it was a huge hit. Right. So that taught me no matter what's going on in my whirlwind right. in October, take the time to take yeah. a breath, drink right. some of that pumpkin latte stuff or whatever. Yeah and just figure out where you're going to be next year, so, where you are, right. what you need to do so, so that you're you in a better out position. gathering pumpkins, you're gathering receipts. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I am. I'm gathering receipts, yes. And I'm maybe buying office equipment, right? I love that. So. Yeah.
I also think that it is a time to connect with, um, you know, with the, with with the people in your sphere of influence, and you know, it, it's always you know a time where it makes it easier to make those connections. But also, you know, I think I think that it is an opportunity to create new traditions. This really happens for me at the you know the first week of the year. But I started a tradition with a client of mine um, that we've done a lot of business uh, throughout the years, and I've spoken to about him before with multifamily Little Havana. But we have a tradition that the first week of uh, of the year we go to uh, Joe's Stone Crabs and we have we have lunch mm-hmm. and we have you know we have a really nice uh, lunch and then we we basically uh, talk about goals that were set the year before and where we are and what are going to be the goals for the year and right now it's become such a bonding beautiful thing because it's just him and I you know we're seven coming on to eight years uh, in the making maybe even more shout out to Nate we got to do it again this year I, I always look forward to it you know and I've heard people that do the these, uh, you know, they do these client parties, they appreciate them parties, all that stuff. I I think all of those things add to the, um, to the experience, you know, there's an agent, he's a residential agent, uh, um, last name Nordstrom in Miami Beach. He's Todd. uh, Todd, There you go. Ah, you know, Todd, Todd Todd is beautiful. God bless you, Todd. (laughs) Todd does these client appreciation parties every year and they, they plan them out months in advance because he's got a lot of clients that live in Europe and uh, so he sends us save the date six months in advance, wow. which is amazing, you know. And uh, Todd, mine must have gotten lost. In the I know, Todd. I, <laughs> you know, did I stop receiving? I think I may still get one of those every once in a while. Yeah, you know. But I think that that there's an element of you're putting your own personality and and your own, you know, uh, joie de vivre into uh, you know Ooh, what I you provide. <laughs> that's it that's the extent <laughs> no but I, I i think that i like the fact that the year is divided into these quarters you mm-hmm. know and i think that every quarter has its own flavor you know i would say when you first told me about this topic i thought that that's a very smart topic because you know it is i believe the most in, the most crucial quarter in setting yourself up for success this year and setting yourself up for success the following year you know So in addition to revisiting your goals from the current year, tax prep, business plan, is there anything else that you think agents or investors should be doing at this time? Is it maybe cleaning up the CRM, kind of like you rake away dead leaves, you rake away (laughs) dead contacts or something? You know, it's it's interesting because what happens is that, uh, uh, you know, when, when a goal is clear, and you know written down and it's achievable and you have a measurable then it's very easy for you to say at the end of the year did i achieve the goal did i not achieve the goal and then what are going to be my goals for next year i think that the other element that is very important is and there's there's got to be an element of self-evaluation when i went to college to become a teacher (laughs) the thing that always resonated with me in one of my first classes that i ever took uh, was a concept called the self-reflective practitioner and the concept works like this basically that you have a duty as a professional to always review how efficient you have been in your endeavors right so that's the general way to do it how does a teacher do it well the teacher is not enough for you to say i gave this test and so many people pass and so many people fail to be a self-reflective practitioner means that now you have to evaluate how efficient you were as a teacher in teaching the lesson you have to be very brutally honest with yourself that if 
let's say 70% of the class failed, they didn't fail, you failed, right? right? And so you, as a self-reflective clinicianer uh, and an ethical teacher would throw out that test, reteach the lesson, and then give them another assessment exam, right? To see whether they really captured the essence of it. So right. what did you do as so, a teacher for that self-evaluation? Like I would do a bell curve of the actual test results, and I would see that as long as if the standard deviation was higher than what's average, then there was something that I needed to figure out. In real estate, what I want to do is I want to evaluate three things, right? Dave Abernathy will call the buckets, right? You know, finding finding listings, finding buyers, selling listings, right, are the three main you know buckets and that are the most important things for a, for a broker and agent. So I would go back and look at was my marketing efficient and successful? Did I get what I wanted out of that out of that marketing? I will evaluate how long did it take me to sell a property, right? Did I sell close to asking price, right? Was I was I correct in my assessments of the valuation of the property, right? I will go back and, and review, compare year over year. How many listings did I get this year? How many listings did I get last year? You know, what are what are the volume, right, that I was able to achieve was their growth. Where are the areas that I could be doing better? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what you do as a as a self-reflecting practitioner. And so I think that this is a time of year to really do those things. And I would most likely do that towards the end of the quarter, you know, just right. so that I have almost like a full year to evaluate. But I would want to know all of those things, you know. And how do you feel about accountability partners? So we talk about yeah. things being measurable. If they're not measurable, it's kind of like they don't yeah. happen. And um, the four disciplines just does talk about having a scoreboard, um, which is something that before I read that book, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't like that. You yeah. know, I didn't I didn't like the idea of a scoreboard. I'm not a right. competitive person for me. Yeah. That isn't inspiring. Mm -hmm. But the idea of accountability is interesting because yeah. you're more likely to complete a task that you don't want to do. Right. If somebody's going to hold you accountable and you have to fess up and say, right. well, you know, sorry, teacher, yeah. I didn't do my homework. The gist of it for me is this. Discipline, I learned a long time ago, and I remember a professor mentioning this. Discipline is driving and seeing a red light in the middle of the night when there's no cars behind you, no cars in front of you, no cars side to side, and you still stop at the red light, and until it turns green, you don't move, right? There's a, a level of discipline that you have, and I know you're smiling because you probably won't do that, but... No, uh, I do, I do. <laughs> right, I do. Uh, okay. Like, Why are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. There's nobody around right. because it's yeah, red. Correct. That's a level of self-discipline where it's like, I'm going to do the right thing or I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do even when nobody's looking, right? But what happens in accountability, partnerships and all stuff is that I think it depends on your personality, which, I, which is why I feel it is very important for everyone, anyone who's listening, if you've never done a DISC assessment on yourself, you should, right? There's a bunch of online DISC assessments that are very valuable because you really get to know a lot about your personality and about what makes you tick. And so, for example, some people might see accountability partner as I'm being judged, 
I, you know, how comfortable am I to, to admit that I failed in reaching a goal? Others might see it as I'm, I'm the kind of person that needs to be around people. I need that support. I need somebody to hold me accountable. I also need to feel like I'm safe. It's a safe place, but that I'm so intentional in reaching this goal that even if I'm a little uncomfortable, I want to, I want to have that level of accountability. So I think a lot has to do with your personality. The other side is, you know, sometimes the way you call things makes a big difference. So if you don't feel that accountability partnership is the way to go, just look at it's a support partnership. You know, call it something that doesn't give you the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm being judged. That's why we I'm call more, the mentorship group. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly. Mentorship it's a mentorship group. Friends. We're just trying to help you. You know. But we did hold each other accountable Correct. on the steps that you have to take yeah. so if you have wildly important goals every week you were supposed to say yeah. well what are the three things that are going to move the needle right and you'd have to pick and i know oh, warren buffett that. does this too you know yeah. he makes a list of everything that's important then he crosses it out and he keeps honing it until there's only three right. things on there and then yeah. those are the three things yeah. that he tackles and so we would we would hold each yeah. other to task right. on that and right. Did, did you ever have moments in which what you thought or why you thought you hadn't achieved the goal or why it had happened, that somebody maybe gave you a different perspective as to why that was or what you could have done differently? So it, it, it depends on why you didn't meet the goal. Like most of the time, it was just a task that we really didn't want to do, even though we knew that doing that, it was something boring. Like, right. you know, everyone complains about maintaining the yeah. CRM. I mean, everybody, we haven't had one person not right. say, ugh, yeah. but that's the thing that's going to move the needle, right. right? So we would hold each other accountable to that. The only time that there was really something was that if they set the goal and they really did try to do it and they still couldn't complete that task, yeah. then that's where we would come in and be like, well, wait a minute. So for one, it was, it was a listing, a, a tricky listing yeah. that she had and it was, how do you, you know, where are you marketing it? And then when, because she was so close to it and right. she had tried everything, she was just stuck. And then when she described the house and, and because this was, I was the only commercial one with a bunch of residential agents. When, when she described the house, I'm like, oh, you know, we were, several of us were like, yeah. oh, have you tried marketing it in a car magazine? Have you tried marketing it to some of these mm. car clubs, right? right? Because it had 12 car garage. Wow. Like, so that's yeah. a very limited audience that you're going to have for that sale. And it did. It, it helped get her yeah. It helped get her unstuck. So for, for those kind of things, it was good. But for the most part, when you have these wildly important goals, it's yeah. scary. Because yeah. what if I succeed? You know, right. we think about, oh, well, what if I fail? What if I fail? But right. the real question is, what if I yeah. succeed? Correct. Like, what does that mean? How does yeah. that change me? And and so I think that sometimes we, do, yeah. we don't do things that we know are going right. to be better for us in the long run and for our business and our income and our health yeah. and everything else because... What if we succeed? Right. So. See, the way I would call your group, I would call it peer coaching because mm -hmm. I think that's really what it is. And, um, you know, one, one guy that I love to follow is Ray Dalio, you know, incredible investor. And he wrote a book called Principles. And, and, and he speaks about how uh, he was 
trying to always find if there was a blind spot or some sort of bias in their evaluation of all investments, right? And so he created this system within his company in which there would be extreme accountability and extreme honesty. And he said it was, it was, it, it's a difficult thing to achieve and it's not for everybody, but those that it is for just absolutely love it because it's not about rank. Uh, it's not about position, but it is about does the idea have merit? You know, mm -hmm. so like, for example, I remember a, like an aversion of that peer. I was teaching two classes. It was the same subject. Right. And I was giving the same lessons, doing the same test. And I was achieving two very, very different results, you know, and I couldn't figure it out. And then I went to speak to one of the counselors who I, I developed a good relationship with. And he was, uh, you know, very, very smart gentleman. You know, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he was amazing. And, you know, I sat with him and I said, what to make of these numbers? And his response is, you know, he was basically telling me, look, there is something that you're not considering here. Start of the day, end of the day. Right. Yeah. So you time. have to amend your you got to you got to understand by the time they get to you here, when they're here, they're fresh. And when they get to the end, they are exhausted. And so are you. And so it's two different classes. Right. Your energy. And so he was saying that you have to now put that as part of the equation. And I would have never seen that if it wasn't for, you know, having the willingness to go to what I consider to be a peer coach. Right. I don't feel judged. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to get better. And I see that a lot in agents. You know, I see some agents hesitate, right? Because they don't want to admit that maybe they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Or, you know, and some are like, you know what? If I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I, I need to know now. Because I know that if I don't know it now, I'm going to continue to, you know, right. fail to do what I'm supposed to do. And I think we're so lucky because we are in this crazy industry that is real estate where yeah. we're all competitors, right? Mm -hmm. In theory, we're all each other's competition. But in reality, we're also each other's support group. And for, sure. for the most part, everybody is so willing to yeah. share what works for them, what didn't work for them. Most of them right. are very honest with their successes and, that more importantly, their failures. Yeah. And so all I would say is if you're an agent that is a little bit shy or doesn't feel comfortable yet admitting what you might be doing wrong or what you need help with, I would definitely right. say follow certain people online that you admire because chances are that they're sharing incredible amounts of very, very useful information that can either help you get unstuck or help you look at a problem a different yeah. way. Um, and most of them will respond if you yeah. see a post that resonates with you yeah. and say, oh, my gosh, how did you overcome that? I'm so impressed. You know, whatever yeah. it is, most of them are very I agree. Helpful and, and yeah. wanting to help and, and respond. Yeah. So. Well, successful agents know that we are in the give value first business. Exactly. Right. And if you follow them online, you're going to see that they're always trying to, you know, apply that approach. And I think that it is it is an important component of, uh, of success in our industry. So I hope. All of you have a wonderful, wonderful fourth quarter. Make yep. sure you don't overdo it with the pumpkin spiced uh, bacon and, uh, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure it's out there. I'm, I'm sure, sure it's it out there. There's okay. Spice. <laughs> There's pumpkin everything. spice, everything. So I got a great stat. Ooh, okay. boy. Jessica, you outdid yourself, my friend. I got to give you credit. The business of pumpkin flavor 
is an $802 million business in 2023. This is Nielsen IQ data, $802 million. Starbucks pumpkin spice latte, which I think started it all back it it was introduced in 2003 it's going to be the 20th a year anniversary of the pumpkin spice latte revolution the price in 2005 for a pumpkin spice latte was 335 and now it ranges from 575 to 675 inflation baby inflation Boy, that's a lot of pumpkin. That's a lot of pumpkin. Great stat. I agree. Great stat. Well, now mine sounds boring. Now I want a pumpkin stat. No. So mine is from triplo.com. Miami ranks as the second most visited city in the U.S., only behind New York City. We rank as the 28th most visited city in the entire world. And Miami's local tourist to local ratio is huge it's 1641 tourists for wow. every 100 miami local residents and i'm super curious as to what our numbers are going to look like in 2023 because we had 19.2 overnight visitors in 2022 7.3 million day visitors so it was a total of 26.5 million visitors in 2022 which was huge Wow. But we drew in the first half of the year Miami International, mm -hmm. which I know might not right. have people staying. They might yeah. be passed through passengers. But for the first half, we had the highest number of passengers ever. It was a record wow. year for us. And Florida has already had 33.92 million visitors during the second through the second quarter of 2023, which is down a little bit mm -hmm. year over year, right. but overall still high. So I'm really curious to see yeah. with the economy and everything else that's going on that's wh true. where we where we end up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us on our pumpkin-flavored tour of the fourth quarter. Absolutely. I love it. Is that what you're going to call it? That's that's. I don't uh, know what to call it. Everything's coming up pumpkin. I don't know. Thank you, everybody, for joining us.